This video is sponsored by Game Toppers. Turn your own kitchen or dining room table into a premium portable game solution at a fraction of the cost. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Drive Through FM. It's been a few months since we did one of these long form podcasts. Actually, the last one was in June of 2022, so it's almost six months uh, since the last one of these. And I figured I'd kick the year off with uh, you know new content uh, with this podcast. Uh, so what we're going to talk about today is a, we'll do a couple of like housekeeping issues and things like that, which I'll get to right right here in a second. And then I'm going to review 12 games. Um, there's some games that kind of didn't, for me, make the cut as far as, you know, uh, meeting the qualities or whatever for a review uh, in last year. Uh, and there's some that, that uh, might. So some of these will be first impressions. So it's kind of a mixed bag. Uh, but we'll do review slash first impressions, depending on the game, of 12 games uh, towards the end of the podcast or towards the bulk of the podcast. Uh, but like I mentioned, let's do a couple of housekeeping things. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about is a little bit of what is planned for the upcoming first part of the year. Uh, so last year I did a game found campaign. And as a part of that, I promised uh, some certain kinds of videos to the folks that back that campaign, as well as there's a video that I promised to uh, several listeners in general, actually. So we'll start with that one. Uh, last year, I did a review of the 1995 Warhammer Quest, uh, quite a lengthy review there. And a lot of folks, actually, way more than I, I could expect, asked me to kind of do a breakdown video of everything I did to kind of cobble that together because it's kind of a, mostly a DIY project um, with, you know, kind of built tiles and I, you know, sold off some pieces of it and stuff like that and printed cards and all kinds of stuff. So people wanted like a real kind of thorough, exhaustive breakdown of that. And I've been promising people to do that when I get some time. That's going to come here pretty relatively short order, probably within a couple of weeks at most. Um, so that's kind of my next sort of big project. Uh, idea outside, you know, kind of the normal review. So I'm going to do that. The other one is going to be kind of a video of my room, so to speak, and just kind of the layout of my room, a little bit of like my video making process and all that kind of stuff. People have been asking for that for a while. And that was something I did promise that I would do uh, during my game found uh, campaign. So I'll do that. And then also finally, of course, will be the top 50 videos of all time. Those that will be coming here you know, in somewhere between a few weeks to, you know, a month or so. Um, and so we're going to get that done relatively short order. So we're going to do that top 50 games of all time. And, uh, you know, cause we hit, that was kind of like the sort of stretch goal, sort of hidden stretch goal I had with the game found campaign and the campaign itself didn't quite get there. It was pretty close, but then, um, uh, game toppers came in and wanted to, um, participate and be a sponsor of the channel for a year. And so they came in with some extra funds there. And I said, I figured, well, let's just apply that and pretend like we hit the stretch goal. <laughs> and so, um, and so, yeah, Game Toppers actually reached out to me uh, right as I was, before I even launched the campaign, um, right as I kind of announced the campaign was happening. Um, and then uh, Berkey from Game Toppers reached out. And so he's been more than generous with the channel uh, with giving me uh, toppers and mats and all that kind of fun stuff and, and all kinds of good stuff. So that's kind of the general sort of plan and outlook for some, you know, my non-video review 
uh, content that's coming up. So we'll do the Warhammer Quest thing and then the room video, then we'll get into the top 50. And I was kind of putting the back burner on the top 50, especially because I wanted to kind of get through last year uh, because I did, you know, my game found was in May and the last back half of the year is always kind of hot and heavy with games. So, and I was already kind of playing some games. I'm like, oh, I think this would be in my top 50, but you know, it's hard to say. And so if we do it kind of at the beginning of a year and it's still within a year after doing my game found, you know, kind of thing, I didn't put a date on it or anything, but, um, but I figured, yeah, well, I'll do, if I, if I do it at the beginning of next year, then it's still, you know, within a year of, of the project funding and all that stuff. And this is kind of the quiet part of the board game season, right? After Christmas, first couple of months leading up until Origins in June. You know, we'll still have new releases, of course, and Kickstarters and stuff coming out. But the large bulk of games don't come out until, you know, middle summer, into the fall and so on. Uh, so that was kind of the plan there. Um, the other thing, and... Um, and, and I, I put this in here tentatively, but I have a note to do this at some point. So I figured I would just kind of stick it in here uh, before we start talking about uh, some of the other topics. Um, well, two things, actually. So the first thing is I'm just going to read this statement because I wrote this to myself and I can't I can't quite figure it out for myself, actually. So um, if anybody has any feedback on this, I'd appreciate it. So between January of 2020... In March of 2022, last year, I painted over 1,200 miniatures. And in large part, you know, of course, due to the pandemic. Um, and that's an average of one and a half minis per day over that time period. Now, I haven't painted anything, not a single thing, since March. Uh, so it's been the better part of over over half a year that I haven't painted a single miniature. And, you know, if you listen to this channel at all or watch this channel, um, you know that's... That's pretty abnormal. I usually have stuff that I'm working on. And I don't know if I burnt out on it. Um, I don't know. It's all, I'm struggling with it because I, I get an inkling, but then I somehow find other things to do. So I'm not sure what's going on there. And if any of you have ever hit that wall, I mean, it's one thing with playing games. Like once in a while, I get kind of a little bit burned out playing games, but it's, it's for a short period of time, you know, and because playing games is nothing. I could get like burned out you know, playing a lot of heavy games or something and then play like code names or ready, set, bat or something and then kind of get back into it. But it's, that's always a brief thing, but this is since March now. So this is over six, seven, eight months, roughly, I think eight months. Um, and I've had the inkling, but not enough of the drive. So it's like, holy cow, I don't, I'm trying to figure out what happened to me, <laughs> but like I still play with games with miniatures and stuff, but I just haven't painted anything. Anyway, it's just strange. It's just, it's just hit me. So anyway, I don't know if anybody else has experienced that with painting or, or what happened there. Um, but yeah, this, anyway, I just wanted to bring that up just because it's bothering me. Uh, the other thing is kind of the, kind of the secondary topic of this, uh, this video because the last, or this podcast slash video, uh, the last piece of content I put out was my best games of 2022. And I had some people ask me about some games, uh, specifically a handful of games because like, Hey, where's this game on your list? And the games that I'm going to mention now were all like that barely didn't make the cut. Like I really struggled. I mentioned in that video about, you know, the order of things kind of bugs me sometimes in these videos and the lists, the structure of them and kind of the principles of them bug me. I understand what they're there for, of course, and people have heard me whine about this enough, but 
it sometimes it's hard to like make a cut because there is I mean not every game is great that comes out every year but there's there's definitely a handful 10 20 25 games you know that I can consider great games um, just because there's a lot of quality out there and uh, so the games that people specifically asked me about uh, I just want to b- briefly touch on, and these 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 are the other guys. In addition to the reviews of that, I'm going to go into here in a minute. But these are kind of the other other guys. Um, so one one game that people asked me about was uh, the Great Wall. Why wasn't that on there? That was another one that was like I've really debated putting that on the top ten list. And really, it's it it's a fantastic game. It's like you know, and a lot of my top ten lists, I like to have like a good variety of styles of games in there because you know, like Dark Tower was the Number one game, Oathsworn number two, Dead Reckoning number three, you know, and those are those are all kind of big big games, you know. Uh, they're they're different from each other, but they're kind of these big expansive games, and you know, the Great Wall kind of fits in that same spot, and the Great Wall is a great game. Um, but I want to have other games in there that just move me in different ways, like Ready Set Bet or Rear Window and stuff like that. Um, you know, just because that's the kind of gamer kind of person I guess I am because I like to have those little different you know slices of the pie like sometimes I like to eat pizza and other times I like to eat I don't know steak or something a terrible analogy but you know like with movies I like to watch a good old Star Wars movie or like um, I just recently watched Tar with with Kate Blanchett and um, that's a real thinky kind of deeply introspective movie so I like that all those kinds of different things you know Um, and so and I like to highlight that with my top 10 list, basically. And this kind of goes the same for the next two uh, that people ask me about. Um, Endless Winter and Brazil. And both, I think, are great, great games. And ones that I really struggled with putting on my top 10 list. Because, like I said, they're, they're great. They're big and kind of expansive in their own kind of way. Not quite as much as, as some of the other ones. Um, but, you know, Endless Winter and Brazil are kind of these real kind of sort of straightforward uh, Euro style games. And I really struggled with Endless Winter. That was one probably, I think, out of all these games that I'll mention that I was closest to putting on the top 10 list. Because um, I, I really do enjoy that one. And it's it's just, there's something that's very kind of different about that, even though it takes up a lot of the mechanics and things that we see in a lot of games. But just the way it all comes together is just really interesting and special. Now, Brazil, on the other hand, and kind of fortunately or unfortunately, Reminds me a lot of Civilization New Dawn. Um, it definitely has some differences and stuff like that, but there's a lot of like similar vibes I get between Civilization New Dawn and Brazil. And Civilization New Dawn is a game I think I've reviewed. It was either last year or the year before. Um, and that one kind of needs an expansion, in my opinion, to be to be great. Um, but I, with the expansion, it's really, really great. And so I didn't feel like, you know, Brazil being in there would, would be would do just serve because I think all day every day I think I'd rather play Civilization New Dawn even though I think Brazil's a great game. Um, so that's kind of those those things. And the last game that uh, was mentioned and brought up a couple of times uh, that I was thinking was going to be in my top ten list but didn't end up being there is Ascension Tactics. Um, and this is one of those that like I don't know that I would go back and take back anything in my review because I still really enjoy the game. But as I played through some more of the different scenarios and I played co-op a couple of times with some friends, you know, just kind of kicked the tires on the game a little bit. Like, I still think it's a good game and it's a fun game, but you kind of need to do a little bit of work with it. Uh, Some of the 
scenarios and stuff don't feel like 100% polished and balanced. Like they're, they're good. They're fine. But I think some of there needs to be a couple of tweaks on some of those scenarios. And especially like the most obvious one is the first one where you should probably increase the point amount that is your target number on that scenario. Cause you, you know, you go in and play, uh, you know, you have the deck building idea and you move your troops around and stuff. And like, just, you don't even really get going in that. And it's fine for a first scenario. And it's easy enough just to, to play and say, instead of playing to 30 points, we play to 40 points or 50 points or whatever. Um, but it just feels like a little bit of the polish kind of come off it. So it's still an enjoyable game and I would recommend folks at least try it. Um, but as far as like, you know, giving it kind of the, I don't know, kudos of being in uh, top 10 list of the year, I, I had to kind of bump it off of there. So anyway, that's um, th- that's kind of the other other guys. Um, if you're interested in any of those games, The Great Wall, Endless Winter, Brazil, mm-hmm. Ascension Tactics, um, you know, go check out my reviews for them uh, for some more in-depth stuff. But yeah, again, those those first three were just right on the cusp and then Ascension Tactics kind of fell off a little bit. Um, okay, so that's kind of enough of an intro. Uh, let's go ahead and take a quick little Donkey Kong break. <laughs> and then uh, we'll jump into some reviews and whatnot. Okay, so we're back and talking about 12 games that I'm going to review and or yeah, and or give you a first impression on because some of these are sort of a review and a first impression. Some are, will be more of a review and some will just be a basic first impression. Um, so uh, let's talk first about Dungeon Universalis. Uh, so I had this game sent to me and... In normal fashion, I'm going to work my way up from bad to good with these reviews like I always do. So this one's at the bottom of the list. And this game is quite the production. I will give it that. It it has a lot of stuff. It's got a lot of uh, punch-out uh, standees and the art and the you know general kind of physical production of the game is very good. It's got, it comes as a giant box. Uh, so the problem with this game is, just to cut to the chase, is I don't think it really knows how it wants to present itself and how it wants to be. Or it kind of falls under the sort of umbrella of being, um, hey, this can be whatever you want it to be, which is fine. I mean, that's a fine approach to take for a game. But as I kind of dug into this game, and just to kind of give you a heads up, I've now given this game to a friend and I said, why don't you try? (laughs) And so maybe I'll come back around to this eventually, but uh, he was he trepidatiously took it on, and I, I don't know if, uh, that he's had any time to even look at it really. But um, this it, it it's really hard to get started with this game uh, because it, it's meant to be played, you know. I think as a as a dungeon master, game master type of player, with the players kind of going through everything, and then you know you kind of play it through it like. I don't know, like a descent or something. But then it kind of also has rules for an automated, you know, sort of card-driven dungeon master that will take over for you. And it's got like this giant quest book and all of these different things that you can kind of pick or choose, but it doesn't really give you any kind of like way in to the game. Um, And it's just, it's just an 
overwhelming amount of rules like for everything it's it's like a dungeon simulation um kind of idea which is a neat idea in a certain sense but it's just like they just kept adding things on top of things on top of things that when i you know i, I read through the rules I, I will say i didn't even get all the way through because there's so dang many but as i kind of jumped around and you know went to the different uh, sections of the rule book and and all this kind of stuff and it was like i don't really feel like they wanted to they just put everything that they wanted in, ever in any game in the same game so instead of like making this i don't know how to say this right but like two different games one that worked one way and one worked that worked another way they just put every rule they ever wanted in any game and that's a little bit you know uh, over the top of a th- of a statement because I, I know that's not what they did but it really feels like they just said you know i'd like to have some rules for um you know very minute movement and trap detection and you know hunger and thirst and all these different kind of things that you could anything you can imagine they were adding rules to they could add rules for so in that case i was like well, what I, well I would just rather play dungeons and dragons or something you know or a full-blown role-playing game or something that that had this and then we could just if we're just going to do this we can just use our imagination anyway but if you want to really kind of you know very fine tooth dungeon crawl with against simulation level rules then I think you, you got to onboard people into that world a little bit better. And don't just like put a bunch of rules out there and say, hey, pick and choose whatever rules you want. Because, I mean, I think there's a, there's, a, there's a crowd for that style of game. But I think as a presentation, I mean, if I'm going to do that, I'm the type of person that will just break out, you know, um, something like an RPG. And, you know, we can play it play that instead and we can get we can sort of feel out how customized we want to make our rules part of the experience so yeah so i mean this to me it's just a big box and it doesn't really present itself in the cool way that a lot of rpgs were presented where you kind of go theme first and then let that let your kind of experience of that your expectation of that drive which and how what rules you incorporate so Anyway, so that's Dungeon Universalis. Uh, probably gonna get some guff for that, but I just I just didn't like the approach at all with that one. I, and it was a little bit of an expectation game because I was kind of hoping for like kind of like a really advanced Warhammer quest or something. That's kind of how it had been built to me by other content creators and stuff like that. So I don't really think that's what it is though. I think it's just a mess of rules that you just you're supposed to go pick and choose from, and I, I just didn't want to do that. Okay, so that's Dungeon Universalis. The next game, uh, similar vibe, is a game from Come On. It's called Tridvang Legends. Uh, really did not care for this one at all. Um, had some high hopes for it. I had seen a demo of it at Gen Con. I think it was in 2019. Still very much in development at the time. And so it kind of boasted a sort of different take on the legacy style game where you had these sleeves uh, on the board, on, on different kind of boards, you'd slide cards in and out as kind of the state of, you know, the world changed. You might slide like a city card into this region, and it's like a card sleeve like built into the board. So maybe the city gets destroyed or something, and then you take that card out and put a new one in there. So the icons and everything on the card for the abilities that you can do while you're at the city change and things like that. And so uh, it's, a, it's it's got a lot of cards in it. And it has kind of a deck building and bag building 
kind of game mechanics. So you have a deck of these abilities, and so when you have combat, you'll draw some cards out of your, your ability deck, and they'll have icons on them, and then you'll draw uh, tokens out of a bag that kind of go with different attributes, you know, like strength icons and, you know, dexterity tokens, and then these evil tokens that you don't want to draw. So you kind of draw three at a time, and then you assign them to your cards, because your cards is like little slots where you put the icons, and then if you fill up the card, like so maybe a card, an attack card needs two strength icons. So if you, during the course of combat, if you fill it up, then you get your plus four attack or something. Um, and But if you miss, if you draw icons that don't aren't on any of your cards, you draw those kind of evil ones, which look like little beast men or something. Then you put them on a track on your player board. And if you draw enough kind of misses that don't match, you know, icons on your cards, then you have sort of like will kind of fail out of combat and have some kind of bad effect happen to you, but you still get to activate the cards that you did fill up. And there's some other kind of mitigation around that. And then maybe like during the course of the game in non-combat situations, you'll draw those tokens out of your bag and try to match a certain thing and then that'll do like a pass fail check on like you know an intelligence check or a charisma check or something um and you kind of move around there's a giant storybook and all that kind of stuff and and so you'll you'll move to different parts of the map fight monsters and then there'll be parts that you will activate and there's this i forget what it's called but it's kind of like a um it's like a punch out window thing so you'll like it's pretty cool like physically so you have this like cardboard thing that you slide this sheet in and these little windows that you can like take off and close back up so it's almost like an advent calendar but you can close it back up because the cardboard like fits snugly it's it's a pretty cool little thing so when you go to a place it'll say oh open up you know window g and h so you open up those windows and it'll kind of tell you where you can go interact with them so it's kind of a way of hiding some of that information on there and maybe it'll reveal oh now you've got to go kill this kind of boss monster at this particular spot so you jump around, you make some choose-your-own-adventure stuff, and it's okay in some degrees, but then I don't really like at all the mechanical part of it with the token drawing and the card deck-building stuff. Um, so, I mean, this is an example. Like, some of the tests that you do, you always draw seven tokens when you do a test, and it's like, okay, you have to draw two strength icons. Well, like, if depending on who the character is that's doing it, you may not even have that many strength icons in your bag. <laughs> and it's just like, and that happened like more than once, you know? And so that's a little frustrating because it sets you back. And then the whole like combat thing, it's too gamey. So it's a little interesting because you have like a fixed deck, I think of eight or 10 cards to start with. And you only have a certain amount of attack cards and a certain amount of cards that will be like evade or other kind of wonky effects that will mess with the creatures you might be fighting. But in a round of combat, if you draw like all all your attack cards in that first round, well, it's going to be hard to fill them up because they all maybe will use similar tokens that you need to slot in there. But then in your next round, you're not going to have any of those combat cards even to use. Um, and so that gets a little bit frustrating where it's like, well, I don't feel like I'm, you know, it just sucks the immersion right out of the game. And you're just like, well, I'm just doing this weird gamey deck building, bag building combo thing. And it's very frustrating because it's like this is you're like losing combats that you shouldn't really lose. And, you know, I don't know. It just the whole like combination of everything just does not come together in a great way at all.
And, you know, I could probably pile on it. It seems just all very basic stuff. You know, the, the plot starts out like the beginning of uh, Baldur's Gate or Baldur's Gate 2. I don't remember which one. <laughs> and, you know, you kind of wander around and fight stuff and you've got to deal with different situations and different uh, uh, branching paths and stuff. But it's not really like anything special that I saw. I played a couple of scenarios and uh, and just got more and more frustrated as I went along. So... Uh, anyway, it's unfortunate. Trudvegan Legends, I think, I don't know what it was, but it, it seemed like it just, again, it needs to live a little bit more and get developed a little bit more, something. You know, I don't want a morning, Monday morning quarterback designers because I'm the furthest thing from one. But um, yeah, I don't know. Just didn't like, li- I w- would not recommend this one at all. Anyway, Trudvegan Legends. Uh, the next one is a Starship Captains. This comes from CGE, Check Games Edition. Uh, There's another one I do not care for, and I think I'm kind of in the minority. I've seen some reviews and stuff come out over the last month or so, and people seem to mostly enjoy it, although not everybody. Um, uh, I think the guy, Mike, I can't remember his last name, Mike DeCilio from the Dice Tower, he kind of expressed similar thoughts to what I had, where I kind of felt like the game is interesting. Like, I was very excited to play it. When I saw the game announced, I was really excited. Uh, when I read the rules, I was excited. And then, you know, I played it a couple of times. And as this kind of the things progressed, my impression of it just kept going down and down and down. And I think it's just a little bit too simplified. And there's just sometimes your turn is a little bit sort of obvious what you're supposed to do. And I didn't really like that. And I don't really like the whole thing where you have this sort of uh, queue of workers, which is interesting on paper. You have these different colored like uh, workers that are crew on your ship, and you place them in this kind of conveyor belt thing. And based on the color of worker that you load up, you can take different kind of actions. Like you can shoot the pirates on the sector next to you, or you can you know you can load those workers up to do a different kinds of missions and all these different things, or upgrade get upgraded tech, which can kind of upgrade your worker, give you extra workers, or you can get these like robotic workers that are like uh, wild cards and stuff that are kind of like one-time use things. And it physically, again, it works really cool. The components of it, you've got this whole slide around thing and they come kind of come back into like the main sort of lobby of your spaceship. So you can see what you've got there. And, he, and the objective of the game is really to kind of fly around and complete these different missions and spend these different workers um, to do that. Now, the weird thing is like when you do kind of your normal actions like move or or shoot at a pirate or something, you know, cost a worker, uh, different color workers. I think it's red is the attack and yellow is the move, I think. Um, and then you spend them and they kind of go back in. And so you got to wait for them to kind of come back out. But to do the missions, you got to do the same thing and spend like, like all your workers to do the mission. And that's where like all your points are at. And you can get points other ways and you can try to um, kind of build yourself up. So the last, you know, couple of turns, you can do more missions and stuff like that. But um, it just it wasn't really any much much in the way of choice or anything. I, I didn't really like the the kind of the push and pull of the dynamics of the resource of the workers. I don't know. It just didn't it didn't speak to me. I guess is the way to say it. Uh, it's just like eh, I don't know. I can get this card, I guess, and then I can go and uh, I'm I'm in the neighborhood, so I might as well shoot this pirate because I don't need a red worker for this mission. But like, if you need a red worker for this mission, you're like, well, forget that pirate. Um, it feels like there needs to be one extra layer to me to make this game worth playing, you know, more than twice, which is how many times I've played it. And 
after the second play, I was like, I don't really need to play this again because it's just going to be the same thing it was last game. You know, there might be a couple of different ability cards and stuff that you can use to upgrade your ship. Um, that might kind of wrinkle it around the edges in terms of the differences between the gameplays, but this wasn't really enough going on in this game to to do anything. And I don't think they need to make it a whole lot more complicated either. Because um, I think that's that's one of the nice things I thought looked cool about it was it was kind of a cool Star Trek vibe of a game that was simple enough that you could play it with your family and stuff and, and not have it be too complicated. But it, to me, it, it suffers for kind of its replayability and strategy and all that stuff pretty quickly. And I don't feel like they need to make it a whole lot more complicated to make it, you know, replayable at least, you know, you know, 10 or 12 times or so. But to me, there's no replayability plus like second or I, I personally wouldn't even want to play it a third time, but um, there's, there's really no replayability past much past that. All right. So that's Starship Captains. Uh, the next one we're going to talk about is Puzzle Strike 2. Um, and uh, another one I just did not care for whatsoever. Uh, it's two. Again, this is one on paper. It looks really, really neat. I like the idea of it. So this is kind of a deck-building game. Uh, the original was, uh, you might call it the original bag-building game because it was a deck-building game with chips. So you pull chips out of a bag instead of a deck of cards. And it's kind of like uh, the Puzzle Quest you know, app game where you send gems across to your opponents and uh, you know start to smash the gems. It's kind of like you're, you're throwing gems at them in a Tetris way on the video game. So that kind of fills up their little cylinder of, of blocks and they have to try to you know combo those up and then you know build a big combo to throw a bunch of gems back at you and stuff. Uh, which is it's a fun little app. I really enjoy the game. It's been like a decade since I played it, but I remember getting kind of addicted to it on the Wii or something like that. Um, and so this is a similar theme like that, where you're sending gems back and forth with the deck building. But um, this one is just too, too bonkers. And I think some people might really like that. But um, So I played it twice, played a two-player and then three-player. And I will say this, I would never ever play this you'd have to like hold a gun to my head to play this with more than two because it is just too much of a freaking chaos you know so much stuff going on for a game that's really actually simple it's just too much stuff to juggle in the air and then the whole like end game has this weird wonky tiebreaker thing gosh i wish i had the game in front of me it's very very wonky the end game with multiplayers it's just it's completely dissatisfying i feel like it was just I don't think it was very well uh, developed either. It's just, it's just, it just really breaks again the immersion and the whole like point of the game and the theming. It's it's terribly. You can go look up the rules online and just read it, <laughs> you know. And then uh, it's it's no good. But the thing with the two player game is is that's doable in a sense. But my thing with it is, you can have like huge turns, like at the first turn. And just, it's like, it's it, to the point of being annoyingly fiddly, where you have this, like, this huge stack of gems, and you're like, oh, man, we just started playing, and I've got to, like, move these gems down, move these over here, okay, now I've got to, you know, line these up this way and figure out where these are going to go, and before I've had a chance to do that, and then I do the same thing back to you, and it's like, is there no arc to this game? <laughs> um, and the rules even kind of allude to that a little bit. Um, there's, like, kind of an FAQ in the back where um, 
it mentions basically that the games can get kind of out of hand. Um, but I don't, I don't think that's okay. I think that you have, there should be some, another balance pass or something, some kind of like on-ramp, um, to playing the game. And so maybe, maybe that would be bad because maybe if people are like very seasoned players and they really have dove into the game, they don't want to do that repetitive, you know, one, two, three turns in a row of starting out where it's kind of this, you kind of go through the motions, but in this one, it's just like, boom, you know, you've just got like, you just got the world of gems coming down at you and you've got to piece together, um, some of the different combos and stuff. So sometimes you can consume some of those gems to get a bonus. Um, and so you have to be careful about that. But it's just like immediately like this kind of really kind of annoying cognitive load, which then becomes physically physically fiddly on the board with these really cool gems. Again, the production quality is, is, is sweet, actually. The art's great. The gems, acrylic gems, and there's like this scepter where like, this is one of my problems with the multiplayer game. So if you're everybody's attacking the person with the scepter, kind of like King of Tokyo, right? Where, you know, if the scepter is getting attacked and the scepter is attacking everybody else, which then again compounds the whole like first turn like bananas where you know that person will attack and everybody's having to do all this fiddly work it's just not like a great experience especially like the first time you play it um and it just feels like you get you get your hand of cards and then you're like okay i'm going to send a massive amount of gems to my opponent they're going to do the same thing to me and it's just going to go back and forth and back and forth till like some nuance around the edges is going to like, you know, break it through and, you know, and then kind of, you know, trip, trip the scales, so to speak. Anyway, so that's, that's Puzzle Strikes 2. Uh, that, that, that's enough of bashing on that one. Uh, let's see. So now we're going to get into some games that I has, has merit uh, for a little while. And then we'll get some that I actually, actually really enjoy. Um, so the next one here is a game called Basket Boss. And this is a game I've been waiting a long time to try. Uh, came out originally in 2009 and then was recently republished by BoardGameTables.com. And it's about basketball, which I love basketball. That's my favorite sport. Um, and this is about basically sort of drafting and building your NBA team with a lot of cool kind of funny character names that look just like a lot of famous basketball players, uh, men and women. And they have kind of like weird, um, uh, you know, takes on their names and stuff like little funky there was that one game dream factory from reiner canizia which had like movie stars but they're like funky names like uh billy cruz you know and they look like tom cruise different things like that likenesses but sort of silly and so what you do basically is you auction off for the different players and there's different positions so you've got the center and the forward and the guards and they have different colored backgrounds to kind of easily indicate which position they play and they have skill levels this is the kind of the interesting part of the game they'll have like a star level and so when you get like, let's say the Michael Jordan player, he starts off with like, let's say four stars out of five. But then every season you kind of, the cards are these very long shaped things with these different like levels for years. And so there's like five or six sort of years on them. And so after each season, kind of each auction round, you slide these cards up under your board and the star level will change. So maybe you, Michael Jordan starts at four and then he goes to five stars for a while. And then maybe his last two years is three stars, you know, when he was on the Wizards or whatever. <laughs> and and so all the players have that. And each of the players have like different things. They may start off with like no stars for three years and then ramp up or the opposite. They may start a five star, five star, and then they drop off because, you know, maybe that player, um, he just had a nosedive in their career, got injured. 
And there are injury cards that you can sort of auction not to take because you don't want to take those and you have to cover up your best player with the injury card. Um, and there's some other like little role selection cards you can take to give you special powers and all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know. I, I really wanted to like it because there is like literally no other basketball game other than Stratomatics basketball, which is, I don't count those as games, um, that's out there. I don't know of any other basketball game. Now, there's a new one coming out called Hoop Gods. I think it was supposed to come out last year, but it didn't didn't come out yet. That's like a three-on-three three three game. I haven't seen too much about that, so I'm curious how that'll work. Um, but this is the only other basketball game out there. <laughs> There's plenty of like football games and soccer games and hockey games and stuff like baseball games. Um, but there's no basketball games and basketball's tough. Cause it's, how do you make a board game out of a game that doesn't stop? You know, even hockey is like that, but you know, you only score a couple of goals and basketball is like nonstop scoring. And it's like, you know, uh, even in the eighties, they were scoring 80, 90 points a game. Now they're scoring like a hundred, 120 points a game because of all the three point shooting and stuff. And you know, like, how do you, how do you quantify all that into a board game? It's just, it's hard to like slow the game down enough to where you can make it kind of a turn-based thing. So it's difficult. Um, so anyway, I was looking forward to it, but the game was just too dry to me and it was too tight. It's way too tight. Now that's cool for maybe a different theme, I think, because the auctions auctioning here. If if you go at this game with just a pure idea of an auction game, I think you might enjoy it more. But I wanted it to be something a little bit more because I I wanted a cool kind of basketball vibe. But it, I mean, it feels like a train game. Like the 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 tightness of the auctions. Like we're talking about like to the dollar with how you work. And I played this a few times. I want to play three times. I don't think I played four. I think I played three times. And it's interesting at first because it's, like I said, super tight. You start to learn the nuances of the different roles that you can take. Cause you can take these roles that will like give you a dollar every time you pass on a bet or, you know, a tiebreaker role, or I don't know, there's different, there's like six different roles and you take those each season. It gives you like a special ability and think like if you're playing a game like steam or, um, railways of the world or something, you get like special little kind of very kind of minor ability, but it does have an impact. And then you play over six seasons and there's cards that represent kind of rule changes for the season. So they'll kind of slightly vary up how things are scored. So that's pretty interesting. Um, and then the interesting thing about it, though, is you kind of you get some points during the game, but then your final team makeup, all the star levels of those of those players, is your kind of starting score, and then you add up all the points that you've got, you know, over the course of the six seasons. So there's a kind of interesting balancing act between kind of winning some of the seasons and getting those victory points there, those trophies, versus kind of the final makeup of your team. And, and it, it, like I said, the, that whole thing is very tight. It's very cool. But it just ruins the basketball angle for me. It's just, I'm like, I just, I'm doing so much math right now that I am just completely removed from any kind of layer of basketball. And it sucks because it, like I said, I'm looking for a basketball game. Anyway, so that's Basketball. If you're a basketball fan, I would not recommend it. If you like cool, tight auctions, I'd probably recommend it because it's pretty, pretty interesting that way. All right. So next one is Massive Darkness 2. Now, I have not played Massive Darkness 1, and this is a dungeon crawler that's has a zombie side vibe or a medieval zombie side vibe. Uh, I did really enjoy this one. I played it a couple of times. It is um, 
it's, I guess you could say it's like a dungeon crawling campaign game. There's like 10 quests in there, but you don't have to play the campaign in any order. It's basically a dungeon crawl with scenarios. And there is a story that you can go through and, and do that, do it in order. But you can really just kind of pick and choose scenarios because you always kind of start over and level up and all that stuff. Now, again, I've not played the original, but I played it with some people who had, and they said it definitely is an improvement on the original. And I believe there's some kind of upgrade kit or something you can get if you have Massive Darkness 1 characters and heroes and monsters that will upgrade them to kind of use some of the new rules. Um, so, um, yeah. So I think I think that's probably worth getting if you've got that original stuff. Um, to me, this game was just okay. And it's only because there are so many dungeon crawls out there. And I've got a stack of Warhammer quests that I have. I've got hero quests. I've got uh, Arcadia quests. I've got League of Dungeoneers coming, which I should have mentioned during the uh, Dungeon of Versalis one because after having checked that out, I'm a little bit nervous <laughs> for League of Dungeoneers because it has kind of the same vibe. But I, I've, I've looked a little bit more into League of Dungeoneers. I don't think it's quite as going to be quite as messy. But anyway, there's a lot of these dungeon crawls out there, right, that people can get into. And this one just didn't really do anything that's super different. You know, like I have Imperial Assault still, and I have uh, the the third edition of Descent. And it just felt like it did all that same stuff, you know? Like, it was just like a good, solid dungeon crawl that um, I think is fun. And I, I think I would recommend people take a look at it. But it didn't really stick its head out above the crowd, like, in any way. And it felt like a lot of these other, you know, come on games big miniatures and all this stuff and um you know you might as well play zombie side too i mean but if you like more of a dungeon crawl vibe then that's cool i don't really have anything bad to say about the game but it was just like yeah this is good you know and i can't really recommend it because i think there's a lot of other better ones that do just kind of weird different quirky things on their own um but i also can't not recommend it because it's a solid game and it's fun and everything works and it clicks together so that's all I really got to say about that one. Um, that's Master Dark 2. I did play it twice. I played it solo, and I played it with some friends, like I said. And um, yeah, either, I think in either case, it's it's going to be a decent experience. So I would pick it up. I don't know if I'd like pay top dollar for it, you know, wait for it to kind of go on discount or something. Because <laughs> it's fun. It's good. It's got good components. It just didn't really stick its head out that much. Okay, so that's Master Dark 2. The next one is um, Skyrim. Uh, the new game from Modifius. Uh, this is a tough one. This is going to be a hard one because there's a lot that this game does, uh, I think, really well, really well. And there's a lot that it does not do well at all. So let's start with a negative first. The first negative I have to say is um, component quality, first of all. Now, this is a Skyrim game. The Skyrim is huge. It's a huge IP. And the components are terrible, awful. They are awful, awful, awful. Um, now you get the box. I think the main box costs like 100, 120 bucks, something like that. And then you can get a box of extra miniatures for like 120 bucks. And so you get some miniatures with the base box, which is just your heroes. And the sculpts are not good. They're not good. I don't, I don't want to hear nothing from nobody about these being good sculpts because they are not good sculpts. And I assume the monsters in the other box are not good either. But you don't get those monsters in the base box. You got like six or seven sculpts in the main box. You get these very, 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 very tiny little diamond chits. 
that represent these big scary monsters roaming the landscape. Now those chits are kind of neat because they're all numbered and those numbers correspond to a card. And those cards, you might have like four chits for like different types of dragons or four chips for uh, different kinds of vampires or something. But when you fight a vampire, it's gonna be a little different than the vampire theoretically that you fought last time because the little number on the chit shows the different abilities and, and stats and stuff that might vary slightly. That's cool, I like that, that's a neat thing. But those garbage chits are just garbage. And for like a hundred and some bucks, I mean, give me a break. You should throw, throw some more miniatures in there. Now, that wouldn't be such a deal breaker for a lot of the other component quality issues. Uh, so the, all the it's a, it's a card-driven game, and it's kind of similar to True Bang Legends, where you go through the story, you go through the campaign, and you it tell you to pull certain cards, certain numbered cards out of the deck, and that kind of stuff. All of those cards are terribly thin, terribly thin. Um, and they, they, they were like all kind of warping. You ever seen those cards that are like, just really, they're not like paper. I mean, they're still like a card stock, but they're so bad, they kind of start warping. And it's terrible. And there's like a few hundred cards, 300 cards in there total, something like that. So if your game is really card driven, it's terrible to have all the cards all start kind of warping and bending. Uh, the other thing is like, so if you're counting money and like herbs and stone and different resources that you can get, um, they're double-sided tokens. They're also extremely tiny. So the money will say, you know, what, I'll have like a blank side and on the other side it'll say five. So you're supposed to take and put them in your this little tray on your player board. And then when you get to five, flip them over. Well, they're so like little tiny and, and fiddly that it's easy to like, you know, they're so tiny. Like I can't express how tiny that they'll like flip over by themselves. You know what I mean? Like you get those chips, chits that are so tiny that you'll just be like, oh. All of a sudden I have 25 gold, which one of these was supposed to be flipped over, which wasn't. And they all, all of like the resource counters are like that. To me, that's almost like an, I don't know, I don't want to go over the top, but that's friggin' unforgivable <laughs> in 2022 or 2023 to have chits like that. Why can't you just have ones and fives and threes? I mean, again, this is the thing. The game is a hundred bucks or whatever. So please, you're going to, you're going to cut corners like that on that. That's, that's not acceptable. I don't think that's acceptable at all. Um, and then, so the, the final kind of straw here, which is what stuck this, you know, in a podcast and not on a video, I'm, I'm going to get to the positives though, because it does have a lot of positives, which is frustrating. Um, so there is a, a, a mode in the game and for the life of me, I cannot recall the name of the mode. It's like the freeform mode, a roaming mode. That's what it is. And so the game comes with two, three part campaigns that you can play through. And you can play through them multiple times, I expect, because there will be some variation there with some of the world events and different things. And, and the car, the way the cards work, which I'll talk about in a minute, is cool. Um, so you can do that. Or you could play Skyrim, which is what everybody likes to do with Skyrim, and just play kind of a roaming mode where you kind of go off and do whatever you want. That mode is not included in the base box. There's a couple of pages of rules for that mode. And when I read that mode, I was like, oh, cool. This is... This is going to be like the full-on Skyrim mode. I can just kind of go off the path, adventure around, not be on a quest that's on rail so much. And like, oh no, there's some other deck of cards somewhere that was some exclusive to the Game Found campaign um, that I don't think you can get anywhere. So, I mean, as somebody that didn't back the Game Found campaign, you know, you would be like, okay, where's this mode at? And it doesn't exist. And it's in the rule book. And it teases you. <laughs> 
<laughs> that is, I'm like, you're teasing. I have a Skyrim box. The components are not good. And now I'm being teased to play like what I kind of imagine is the full Skyrim experience effectively doesn't exist. Again, that's just no good. That to me, I was like, that's, you know, expletive. <laughs> that sucks. So, however, I do want to give the design and the folks that worked on the game design lots and lots of credit because there was a lot of merit to the game itself. And this makes this what makes it so frustrating to me is that because the way that you kind of move around and you level up and the game kind of levels up with you, just kind of like it does in Skyrim, is really, really cool. I like the whole dice check mechanism how you can kind of exert different resources to add new dice to the pool. The dice itself is really neat because you have kind of, it's a six-sided dice system. You always roll three, but you can kind of exert um, either stamina or other resources depending on the type of check or combat or whatever that you're doing to add more dice to that. And you're always looking for like a fixed kind of result. So you need like one of the common results because there's one result that's just like, it's like on three faces. There's another result that's on two faces and another one that's on one face, something like that. And so you're looking for that. And so based on kind of the difficulty of the situation, you've got that kind of aspect there. And what happens is everybody has like these personal quests that they're on. There's kind of like world quests that can happen. They're sort of outside the scope of the main, you know, kind of storyline. Um, the different strongholds, kind of the different cities, they can start to accrue threat, so it kind of locks them down, which makes it harder to go in and do like crafting. So the game has crafting in it. So you can go in and do crafting. You can spend the different resources, get upgrades and enhancements and stuff for your different weapons. Um, you can go out into the wilderness and adventure out there and deal with kind of little random events that come out of that. You can go into different types of dungeons. There's like, you know, different... Uh, monster types that are in certain dungeons and as you kind of go into the dungeons those things they will actually kind of level up because as you as you get through the dungeon then you start to take out some of the low level cards so as you go through the level zeros come out then the level one start coming out level two start coming out and by doing this stuff that's not part of like the main quest line you level up your character and you get like all of the different skills so it's not like classes you don't have like clerics and warriors and stuff it's a skill-based thing which is one of my favorite things uh, in video games. I typically, frankly, don't like like a Warcraft style thing. I like a Skyrim or uh, you know Elden Ring or Ultima Online, Ultima, any Ultima game where you don't have a class. You just have like a sort of a skill point cap. Let's I'm gonna use my Ultima Online reference. You have like 700 skill points that you can distribute, and you can distribute those however you want. Now you can do that dumbly or smartly. But you can really get down and sort of customize your character. And Skyrim's always kind of been about that. And so you have to spend time. The game is geared up. Because I actually did try to break this. Where it, it, when you play it, I think you might get the feeling like, hey, I can rush this. But if you do, you're not going to be leveled up enough. So you have to kind of wander around a little bit anyway to go through and do the leveling up. And the game really kind of reinforces that. And it deals with failure in a cool way with how that kind of works. Um, I don't think you could actually kind of ever fail out of one of the campaigns. It's some, kind of like a fail forward kind of idea, uh, which is okay. But for a campaign, I don't really like that. That's kind of why I wanted to play the, you know, kind of the roaming mode. 
because uh, if you fell forward, it's just like playing the video game. You know, you just kind of, oh, well, I got my butt kicked going down there. I won't go down that way again until I can uh, level up. And that's cool because they really kind of captured that sort of freeform roaming essence of Skyrim in a board game, which I thought was really, really neat. And the mechanics and everything really lends itself to that sort of like, hey, go off an adventure, go off and find some quests and do the little side quests and all that kind of thing. And it's not like other board games where the side quest is almost like, uh, not an annoyance, but it feels like just a checkbox sometimes you have to, to check in other games, but it feels like this is very much part of the game. Uh, anyway, so that's the Skyrim game. Really cool design elements. I would recommend people if they can get it cheap or try it to get it. I would actually not pay money for this because, again, all of those problems I started at the beginning, which sucks because it's Skyrim and Skyrim's just such a huge um, IP. Um, I guess there's some other Skyrim game coming out um, from Chip Theory Games, I think. Uh, yeah, I believe they're coming out. So I'd be curious what they do with it as well. Um, but I just want to, you know, again, I want to give credit to these folks that designed this game because they really captured the freeform adventure feel of it. And it doesn't feel just like, hey, hey, it's, a, it's an adventure game, but it's also a co-op, um, which, which is what we get today. When I, and I, I like the balance of that. But the adventure angle really is honed in on it. And, and I, it's really great. I mean, that was really a breath of fresh air. Again, but they took the whole roaming mode out of the game. And that's just... Mm-hmm. <sighs> that strikes me as like sinister almost. I just didn't like that at all. All right. So next thing we're talking about is Sky Mines. Uh, this is a game from Alexander Pfister. And it's kind of a re-implementation of a game he did a few years ago called Mombasa, uh, but set in outer space. And in, in, in Mombasa, you were not great people. You were going and kind of sort of exploiting the content of Africa and uh not 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 a super great way and kind of a erasure kind of way and so they went and re-implemented it and so now you're doing it on the moon or on asteroids and you're exploiting a place where there nobody exists so you're exploiting for resources but it's effectively the same game as mombasa and it's a really good game mechanically except the same thing bothers me here that bothered me in mombasa and I liked Mombasa mechanically. And, you know, I, how do I put this right? So the point of the game is to kind of grow your company and grow kind of the stocks and things that you're involved with and all that kind of thing and, and be involved with that way. And that, so you, you, you put out kind of these little bases from the different uh, sort of subsidiaries that you're involved with. You kind of grow the values of those companies and you have investments in those companies and you effectively sort of colonize or take over in terms of resources the moon or there's actually another side of the board that you can flip over and do the asteroids and so and that adds a little bit of extra dimension to some of the mechanics there and i should say there's a little four-part campaign where you use both sides of the board kind of back and forth Um, but that kind of is the main kind of thematic thrust of the game now you've also got kind of your little player board with your tech that you can sort of upgrade which are effectively these little tracks that you can push your little tokens up you have two little tracks on your board and as you push them up there you can score uh, unlock different abilities and get bonus points at the end of the game and so at the end of the game you kind of total up the points from the tracks you've pushed up and unlocked and then also kind of the uh, not the exploration but like kind of the the territory that you've taken over and the amount of 
investments that you've made in certain uh, companies. And there's some interesting kind of piggybacking and uh, brinkmanship mechanics with the you know whole territory control, area control, resource control, stock control type of thing. And that feels like it should be, it's important thematically and it's important for us the game, but it's almost like a secondary or tertiary way to score points. And that's one thing that's always kind of bugged me about Mombasa and that's still present here. Like you can do the best at that and still lose. And I don't like that. <laughs> that just bugs me. The other you should be able to do the best at that and okay at the other stuff and win. Like the other stuff is more, you can get more points out of the other stuff. Yeah, I don't like that. I don't like that at all. I just thematically, it just doesn't make sense. Like why, what game are we playing here? Are we playing move the token up the track game or are we playing a game about stocks and brinkmanship and territory control? I thought we were playing the latter, but I guess we're playing the former and it's about getting the little combo to move your track up on your player board. <laughs> and that just bugs me. It's an interesting game all the way through. Um, but yeah, this, the conclusion of that is, um, it, it's just not satisfying to me, but I think mechanically, if you're just looking at pure mechanics, you don't mind kind of the whole, I don't know, moving a token up a track thing, which sometimes I like, sometimes I don't, then, you know, you might enjoy it. Okay. So that's, um, sky mines. Uh, now the next few games we're going to talk about here are ones that I, I really did enjoy. Uh, just for whatever reason, I don't have a copy or whatever. <laughs> um, I'm, I didn't want to get around to making a video. Uh, the next one we're going to talk about is uh, Frostpunk, uh, which is based on a, another video game of the same name. Uh, and a friend of mine actually has this. And it's really cool. Uh, it's a really neat game, actually. It's um, kind of a survival co-op vibe, which is similar to the video game where you're kind of this last outpost of civilization surviving in kind of a wintry, you know, post-apocalyptic Iceland. And you're trying to sort of uh, um, go out and explore and fight off the elements and, you know, deal with all these catastrophes and kind of build up your technology and kind of rebuild or start to rebuild civilization in a certain sense. It's really hard. Um, it's really cool. I've only played it twice. Um, this is one of those where, like, I'd be down to, to play it again and, and, and try to try to get, get around to a review of it. Um, really, really cool. Just it's, it's going to hit you in the face a lot. It's, it's difficult. It's going to throw a lot of things at you that are just going to make it, you know, not seem, uh, like it's a fun time. Although, you know, it's, of course it's a lot of fun <laughs> when that kind of stuff happens. Uh, you know, I talked about great wall, uh, kind of at the beginning of the episode, and this kind of has a similar vibe in the, the co-op version of the Great Wall. It's just like, it's just constantly throwing things at you. are like, how are we going to overcome this? But then eventually you, you, uh, you'll find a way. Now, the two games I played, we didn't actually win. We came close. But um, uh, my, my buddy has assured me that he's, he's beaten the game <laughs> outside of the games that we've played. So although he said it was still, it was the nail biter. Um, it's just a really cool um you know, cobble together mechanisms that just work really well together. You know, I've talked a little, a little bit about cobbling together things uh, this episode. And in this case, I think the cobbling really, really works. And it's very thematic and it's just very immersive and all the things, all the different bells and whistles of all the mechanics uh, just work really, really well. So it's kind of a first impression, uh, but I wanted to highlight it in case I don't ever get a chance to, you know, talk about it in a review context. Um, 
I definitely recommend folks can pick it up. I know it was a crowdfunding game. I don't know if there's going to be a retail version or whatever. Um, I assume there will be, but it's hard to say. I think it's actually published by the video game publisher uh, themselves, if I recall correctly, uh, which is really crazy because, I mean, I think the only other company I've heard that did that was Riot Games, and they did uh, Mechs vs. Minions, which is an amazing game as well, and another game. I don't remember what, but... Um, but this is great. I mean, it's great. It's, it's, it's a really, really fun game. And I, I, you know, I need to kick the tires on a little bit more, of course, like I said, it's first impression, but, uh, I recommend folks, you know, seek it out and try to play it. So that's Frostpunk. And now kind of on the other end of the spectrum of games here, there's a tiny game called Tinder Blocks. And think of this like a reverse Jenga or almost like playing uh, Rhino Hero from Haba Games. So Tinder Blocks is a very tiny game that comes in these little tins. And uh, this company makes all these games in these little tins. And what you do is you get a card and then you have to set up a little configuration of blocks. There's the cubes and little like long sticks and other things. And then there's little tweezers. So you have to set that configuration up. So you might maybe stock, stack a, uh, a long stick kind of thing on its side and then put a little block on top of it and you grab it with tweezers and you add it to the main pile of stuff. And if you knock anything else on the sort of construction that's been built over the last couple of turns, then you're out. Kind of like Jenga. You know, if you pull it out, then you're out. But um, then you just leave it as is, and then the next player goes. And you keep playing until somebody's eliminated. So they're, unlike Jenga, which is, just has a loser, <laughs> there's actually a winner to this. Um, but if you, like, pick up that little configuration based on the card and you, like, drop it, you're not out. It's just if you disturb anything that was there before you got there, then you're knocked out. And you keep going. And I will say this has a little bit of a turnover issue because whoever's going like, you know, fourth and turnover is going to gonna have a harder time than whoever goes first, usually. Um, but uh, it's really neat because it's a lot like Rhino Hero. Where you try to, because in Rhino Hero, you're building these cards, right? You're stacking these cards and moving this little Rhino uh, meeple piece up to the top. And you try to set that one up in the most precarious way imaginable, but so that it doesn't fall down on you. Um, and that's a similar thing you do here is you set these up in a, such a way that the next person has the, has a worse time doing it. And it's just a silly, fun little game. Uh, we played this a couple of times, I don't know, a few weeks ago, probably about a month ago now. Um, and just had a lot of fun of those. It was just a riot. So it's a quick little game. I'm sure it's pretty cheap. Uh, Tinder blocks, you know, I recommend it. You could take this on a plane and play it, you know, with your partner, whoever you're sitting next to with kids or whatever. And, uh, really, really fun. Definitely recommend it. Let's see. Now, the last, second to last game is a game called Feed the Kraken. And this is, a, this is a cool game. I have a small caveat for it, but I would recommend folks try this one. Uh, and it's fun all the way around, pretty much, <laughs> until the very end. So Feed the Kraken is kind of like a werewolf, uh, One Night Ultimate Werewolf Resistance, Secret Hitler style game. It's probably the most like Secret Hitler. Um, just in terms of the mechanics. So what it is, is there's a ship and there's this cool, it's got cool components. There's a board, there's a giant mini ship, pirate ship, and there's like a hex board. You're trying to get from one end of the map to the other, pretty straightforward. There'll be little islands and stuff you have to steer around some other places. And players all have secret roles. They're either, you know, uh, part of the the evil crew, which I can't remember the name of, you know, trying to mutiny the ship. There is, you know, the straight sailors, that are trying to get it to the home port. And then there's also a third faction, which is like the uh, cult of the Kraken, right? Sort of a Cthulhu-esque 
type of, of, of third party, third faction in this, which makes the game really interesting. And so, you know, you take, you set people up on missions, you nominate people as the navigator. If you played Secret Hitler, you know, it's kind of like nominating somebody as the chancellor. You add, everybody draws cards, secretly gives them to the navigator, who then secretly selects the one that they actually choose, and everybody can lie about their decisions all the way across. And so you basically, at the end of that, you move either left or right, you know, or straight, straightforward, because they're hexes. And so you're always moving across the board, and you'll get to certain situations at the end of the map where you have to throw somebody overboard. The captain has to throw somebody overboard. And if they throw over the leader of the Kraken cult, which may have accrued extra followers over the course of the game, because there are certain effects that will come into play that you know will convert somebody to the, you know, the, the cult of the Kraken. If you throw over the leader, then the cult of the Kraken team will actually win. And so you, the cult of the Kraken person, the leader, can make either a pirate, you know, a mutineer, or a regular sailor, a, um, uh, you know, a part of the cult. So you might flip a bad guy, you might flip a good guy, which is interesting. Now, the only problem is with the game, the game's really fun all the way up to like the very, very end where you have like a little bit of like a king-making thing that happens. Uh, and it doesn't like completely discount the whole experience of the game, but what happens is you get to a spot where the ship can only go like one of these possible two destinations like there's no chance for maybe one of the teams to win and so they kind of effectively turn into like a kingmaker type of thing or the game does give you the option to kind of bail out of the vote which doesn't also feel very satisfying because you're just like well i give up because you know whatever team i happen to be involved with the final outcome of the game doesn't affect me either way but then it's all you're still like kind of a diet it's almost like we call it a diet coke victory for the team because the other person just gave up and they still are effectively king-making because even by giving up, they're probably icing in and locking in another outcome. So uh, it's really cool and really fun and really interesting and some nice twists on the whole social deduction thing. And the production is lavish and great and lots of fun. And um, it, it did elicit a good time. I think we played it three times, at least three times I've played it. And yeah, it's just that last end game thing which i don't think will happen every time but i think it'll happen frequently because it happened in at least two of the three games that i we, we played um and it's just a little bit like kind of a disheartening kind of end to the game but it's again it's like the last you know few minutes of the game uh, i don't know but it just sours me a little bit i wish there was kind of a different way and we talked about some different ways that you could probably correct that like the main way that we talked about, and I don't know if this would work because I haven't thought it all the way through, but is to have the dead crew members. Because as we go over the course of the game, crew numbers were going to get basically eliminated from the game. And if you could somehow bring them back in or some of the people that aren't necessarily involved and bring them back in and add just kind of another little layer there so that there could be like a double blind, you know, bluff or something kind of element to that last part of the game. That might be more fun. Some people may not like that, but I think that that for me, that would be a little bit more satisfying. Like you're playing the game within the game, within the game type of thing. That would be kind of neat, but I don't know if we obviously <laughs> sat down to work out all the wrinkles of that, but uh, that could be interesting. Anyway, so that's Feed the Kraken. I would definitely recommend folks take a look at it, pick it up. Um, it's a lot of fun. Just that end game can be a little bit dissatisfying. Uh, so the last one here, this will be very quick. Um, this is actually for Dune Imperium, the Immortality Expansion. 
Now, Dune Imperium was my favorite game of 2021. Still a great game that I love playing. I reviewed the uh, Rise of Ix expansion, really enjoyed that expansion. That expansion to me is the perfect way to play the game. Now, this expansion, I don't know about this expansion. I will say this. To, I come down it on here. I like it. It does some neat stuff. I like some of the different cards and deck building elements that it adds. I don't think it's like a required expansion. I feel like the Rise of Ix is a, is a required expansion to me because it, it just fleshes out enough variability in the card pool and in kind of this different angles and strategies that you can take uh, in trying to win the game and it adds just enough little kind of nuance and edge and elements and stuff to the game to really just to bring it home I, to a game I think was already great. And I, I would actually still go back and play just the base game. It's just a kind of a different dynamic. But to me, Rise of X really adds to that. Um, this one, I could kind of take or leave. And I think, especially for a first play, I would never add in uh, the Immort Immortality expansion. And it's almost like the card pool is almost too watered down now at this point. That's kind of the, we're right at the edge of that, I think. Where, and it may, may be too watered down. Uh, I played it a few times now and I like it. And I'm a Dune nut, I like Dune stuff. So thematically it does a lot of cool, interesting stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, so basically there's kind of, there's speaking of moving down tracks, again, this is a situation where I kind of like it, I kind of don't. They have these like weird technology things where you have the Benny Telax, which is part of the Dune universe, like these, um, uh, like they clone people and stuff like that. And so some of the different technologies and weird things that can go on with that, you have these different tracks for that and you move down. So it, it gives you little bonuses and stuff, card, extra cards and uh, you know, sometimes a victory point and stuff like that. So that part's there and you can, there's special cards that you can only buy from the going up on those tracks and stuff that you can't get from the normal row of cards that you can buy with influence. And some of those are pretty cool. You know, they're neat. Like, it's just like, oh, this is cool. This is neat. This is fun. And then you have like this um, fusion mechanic. I can't remember the actual term that the rules book. So you can play one card and sort of fuse it or merge it with another card. And that's cool too. Like, it's just like, oh, that's neat. That's cool. Oh, that's a cool little thing. Um, but it doesn't really, I don't know. It doesn't like obviously improve the game. It's neat. It's fun. But I don't, I don't know if it makes it any worse either. Like it's, I, if somebody had said, I only want to play with all the expansions, I'd be like, sure, fine, let's do it. I do feel like it might water the, the, deck, the deck down a little bit, though. So, yeah, like if it were me and somebody said, what do you want to play with? I would say, well, let's just play with everything. Who cares? Because <laughs> I'm going to have a good time anyway. Like, it's just fun for me. But if I have to take a hard critical look at, like, the balance and everything, I'd say, eh, you know, we should probably play with just the Rise of X. Um then you know in terms of like balance and strategy then like okay let's leave immortality out of it and just stick with rise of x i don't know i mean who cares <laughs> it's still fun stuff like it's just neat stuff i'm not i don't really care if i win every game you know um so if things are a little bit funky then that's okay and so that's what the, the expansion is funky it just adds some funky stuff and i don't know if it, it again if it improves or worsens the gameplay i really can't tell you Okay, so that is that for this podcast. So thanks for listening. Any feedback is appreciated. And like I mentioned at the beginning, we're going to have a lot of fun stuff here coming in the next uh, couple of months. 
a little uh, outside, uh, you know, kind of the normal just review format. So I'm, I'm excited to do that stuff. So, okay. Thanks, everybody.